I'm Duncan McLeod, and this is the Tech Central Show, brought to you today by MTN Business. To learn more about their solutions, visit mtnbusiness.co.za. And while you're there, uh, why not also pop over to youtube.com slash techcentral and hit the subscribe button and never miss another one of these shows. You can also find us on Spotify, Apple, Google, Pocket Casts, and wherever you listen to quality podcasts. So do check us out. Now, Connie Bloom is co-founder and MD of a company called Mesh.Trade, and they specialize in all things blockchain and the future of finance. Connie joins me in the Tech Central studio now to chat about concepts like AltFi and DeFi, which I have to admit I know very little about. Connie, welcome. Thanks for making the time. Thank you, Duncan. Before we get into all of that, um, let me ask you a bit about yourself. Uh, what is your background and how did you get into the world of AltFi and DeFi? Oh, that's a very interesting story. Um, for my sins, I started out studying industrial engineering, which is quite controversial when it comes to the world of finances and technology. But I've always loved the financial industry. And since the moment that I started working, I tried to enter into the banking world. Okay. So what I effectively did is I started in, out in management consulting. And when I started out in management consulting, I started building FX trading applications. And the world FX. just... FX, oh, so FX, foreign right. exchange uh-huh. trading applications, and it's, it just opened my 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 world to mm-hmm. to, to the potentials of technology. But also coming from an engineering background, I started playing around with, with blockchain in 2012. Okay. And this weird thing called Bitcoin mm-hmm. um, existed. And at that time, no one knew what it was. I hope you bought some at the time. I, I, I entered into a little competition with a friend of mine and we, we did win some. Um, but that's, that was ages ago. So we, we started playing around with the technology and we started playing around with the potentials of it. And my professional career started aligning with my personal interests, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was still very young, and I knew that for me to really go into the financial markets, I needed to bolter myself a bit. So I went into financial engineering, did a postgrad in financial engineering, and then I started working for a company called Andide Solutions. Mm-hmm. And They're an Andide- IT company. Yes, it's an IT company and they implement big treasury and trade systems in in banks. So I did projects with all the major banks actually in South Africa, across Africa, um, even the central banks as mm-hmm. as well. And it was fascinating for me to to be in that that world. But always there was something missing mm. for, for, for me. And I like creating, but also I saw so many of the problem statements in the capital and financial markets. And it was frustrating for me that I couldn't actually effectively fix mm-hmm. these problem statements. And that coincidentally led to the creation and the the existence of Mesh Trade or Mesh Art Trade. And um, I'm, I'm a very lucky person where my passion and my profession can be in the same direction. Sure, sure. Now you're the co-founder. Who, yes. who did you start the business with? So I started the business with with Andres Brink and he is currently the CEO of 42 Markets. Okay. And uh, he's also the, the founder of Andile Solutions where I started ah, working okay. as well. So we got to know each other through that business and when Mesh started to, to come around, we, we decided to, to, to do it together. Okay, okay. So what does 42 Markets Group do? I presume it's more than just Mesh Trade. Yes, yes, yeah. it's, a, it's a lot more than, than Mesh Trade. So mm-hmm. the, the biggest company within our group is Andile Solutions. We also have a company called FX Flow, mm-hmm. which is a treasury and trade um, business. And they also have a platform. Uh, we have lovely conversations with them and also learn from what is going on in their technology and their space. There is a smaller business in, in there as well, which is still kind of a project, but a business which we were very excited about called Finmio, which is a risk management, operational risk management um, system. And then the biggest one is is then Mesh.Trade. Okay. So you started Mesh.Trade to, to solve what particular problem or problems you you mentioned at the start what is altfine what is defi what is what are all these kind of terms that that we fly, throwing around but maybe i can give you an example i don't know if you ever watched forrest gump I and did. At, a, a, at a time in that movie he said he invested into a fruit company okay and that was apple that okay. he invested in <laughs> but imagine at that time that you could invest in apple when it started coming out mm. How great would that be? How big would your portfolio be? And the the fundamentals of Mesh is sitting in that that question of why can you not invest in some of these biggest, newest companies that are coming up? Imagine Stripe, that is one of the biggest fintechs that currently exist. We all read about them when they were going through their 
VC um, journey, yeah. through their PE journey. When, and, and, and we're all sitting here like, can we invest? Can we get into it? And I'm asking the question, why not? Why are the capital markets restricted? Why, if I have 10 rand, can I not sit around the same table as someone that has 10 billion? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that I can buy the same ticket size as what you do, but at least give me the opportunity. Yeah. At least give me the opportunity to look at what is available there. But also, I'm in South Africa, you're in South Africa, or we're in Europe, or we're in America, but we can't trade across borders. Mm-hmm. Why not? Regulations, restrictions, reserve uh, reserve bank rules. I guess um, there's a lot of there's a lot Absolutely. of uh, there's a lot of friction involved. <laughs> Absolutely, mm-hmm. the, the the systems are, are onerous and they're hard to deal with, and it's scary because it's your it's your money, mm. and it's it's obscure. So if you, as a normal individual, is trying to start figuring it out, yes. you don't even know where to start. Correct. Do I phone my bo- broker? Do I phone my banker? Do I phone my financial advisor? Where to start? Do I start on the internet? Mm. And we, we're kind of used to technology now. How easy is it to log into your internet banking application and, and do a bit of an FX transaction? Yep. How easy is it to, to log into a trading platform and do a bit of an equity transfer? Mm-hmm. If we can pave the wave, ways for, for, for those components, because the technology exists for us to do it. Why can't we solve the hard problems? And that's where Mesh.Trade comes in. We're saying that we can solve, resolve these problems. We can give people access to the market. Mm-hmm. We can give issuers direct access to their investors. Imagine the, the, the person sitting within Stripe trying to push their company out, trying to raise good capital for, for, for their company. A company sitting in Cape Town trying mm-hmm. to get working capital for, for their business, good quality businesses. How frustrating should it also be for them to go into the market? Mm-hmm. So if, if we, through our technology, can actually effectively directly connect these individuals and do it in an elegant, easy-to-use, transparent manner, then we are doing our job. And that's the problem that we are passionate about resolving. It sounds very complicated, though. It is, but that's why we, we appoint incredibly smart people. And we try to take care of it uh, ourselves. So what we do is we have an incredible team of software engineers, product specialists. So these are product owners that, that build our platform and our software. We have a legal team. We have an operational team. We have a lovely marketing team mm-hmm. as well who are all capital markets experts and are, are passionate about, about building this. Mm-hmm. But it's a big solution. We can't do it ourselves. Sure. So what we do is we go into the market and we partner with the experts in the market as well and ask them to contribute their their knowledge and their problem statements as as well. Mm-hmm. Because if we join this together, we can shape the future of where the capital markets go. I think that you may have seen that there's news saying that the JSE is seeing a lot of delistings happening. And this is actually something that's happening across the board with a lot of the big exchanges in the world. They're seeing a consistent trend of either just have stability about the big companies that are listed or they're seeing a large trend for delisting mm. occurring. Mm-hmm. And what, what we're seeing there is effectively the formal capital markets are dying. Maybe dying is a strong word, but effectively they're changing. The way that we interact with those capital markets are changing because the market is saying we want a more effective and better way mm-hmm. of interacting with the market because mm-hmm. we want capital and we want to invest. Mm-hmm. So give us ways and means to do it. So we try to, to get those people to the table to partner with Mesh so we can together build what the new de facto standard will be for the capital markets. Mm-hmm. Maybe the capital markets will be open capital markets then. So who who are your competitors? Is it the traditional finance industry? In some instances it can be, but mostly we try not to compete because we're not exchange. Mm-hmm. We don't want to be exchange. So why can we not partner with the exchange? And right. we've, we've, we've done so as, as well. So who would be our general competitors? And to be honest, um, the most innovation that we see in our space in, in the capital and the financial markets is very distinct around a sphere or a vertical in mm-hmm. the market. People making trading more effective. Love that. They're doing great great work. People going into blockchain and trying to do custody better. Um, people that are trying to make advice better. But very few people have actually gone across mm. the board. So we've gone across the verticals and re-engineered and compressed the market into elegant flow. And no one is actually doing the five pillars of the capital markets that we are doing. And that's our unique selling proposition. We are doing issuance and tokenization 
yes, I, I, I brought the, the term tokenization because we are blockchain-based. Secondly, we do trading. Sorry, let me pause you there. What, yeah. what, what is tokenization and why is it important? Tokenization is an incredibly important concept. And I'm, I'm so glad you're asking that question. It's a brilliant one. Tokenization is one of the fundamental components of the blockchain. So let me, let me break it down. Let's make, let's make it simple because every time someone brings blockchain into the conversation, the conversation starts becoming complicated and Eyes technical and yeah. uh, <laughs> everyone's starting to think about Bitcoin again and you're thinking about that person at your bride trying to convince you to invest in their crypto portfolio. And <laughs> buy some Dogecoin or something, yeah? <laughs> buy some Dogecoin, yes. <laughs> so if you're on, on, on what is now X and you're, you're following Elon Musk with yeah. these Dogecoin uh, analogies, and yes, that is also part of our industry but blockchain effectively is the underlying technology mm. of things like bitcoin ethereum uh, dogecoin mm-hmm. um, and they've all got their own blockchains and right? they all have their own blockchains and for the most part for the, for the most part yes yes and effectively what a blockchain is trying to do is be a a, a ledger of a, a database a database yes mm. a very fancy database <laughs> so if you're thinking about, about your T accounts and, and, and so forth you can make line item entries into that database mm. but what makes it special is that no one can change mm-hmm. a line item entry without everyone in the community agreeing mm-hmm. so there is a concept of trustlessness that people bring in and oh yes another complicated term but basically trustless does not mean the absence of trust. Mm. It basically means that we can trust the system because everyone is watching. Yeah, yeah. The neighborhood watches out, everyone is watching, no one can change an entry without it being seen. Mm. So now where does tokens and tokenization come into play here? So the way that I can describe a token is it's a little basket of data, basically. That I've grouped together and I call it a token. Some mm-hmm. people call it a coin. So if I say Bitcoin, mm-hmm. a single unit of Bitcoin is one. So it can, be, it can be a monetary thing, but it could be something else entirely. It can be anything. So anything that is a basket of rights. And some people have start bringing in the concept of a smart contract here. Yeah. So if I take your, your house, it's a single unit, and you have an ownership right to your house, yeah. I can put your house on a token. And, and that would typically be on the Ethereum blockchain, would it? It can be on the Ethereum blockchain. It can be on the Bitcoin blockchain. Oh, it can be anywhere. Okay. It can be on the Stellar blockchain. Mm-hmm. So any blockchain has a concept of creating a token. Okay. So let's say you want to sell your house to me. You want to say, sell that single token yeah. that represents your house to me. We're basically saying that we have the intention to transact with each other the same way that you go into your internet banking and you say, hey, I want to transfer a thousand rand to, to someone else. You're saying, I'm going to sell you your house mm-hmm. and I'm going to give you cash in return for it. And we're giving this instruction to the blockchain. So what the blockchain then does is it writes in on both sides of the T account, mm-hmm. house sold, money given. Mm-hmm. And it transacts that with each other. Mm-hmm. And there's and no intermediary involved. There's no intermediary. There's no intermediary, but everyone is watching. Mm. So everyone can confirm that the transaction happened. Everyone can confirm that the money has actually exchanged hands. And everyone can confirm that the house exchanged hands as well. So given that there's so much oversight of the blockchain, everyone mm. can, can, can watch what's happening. Is there a need to regulate these blockchains? I mean, there's a lot of talk about regulation in mm. the crypto industry. Um, where, where is that regulation likely to focus, and does yeah. there need to be regulation of blockchain mm. to get, or, or, or is this this uh, trustless uh, concept uh, sufficient? Mm. It's, it's an interesting question mm. because the the way that we look at this conversation is around what is the principle that we're we trying to regulate, and generally we welcome regulations into any any form of business in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we, we're all still a bit shaken about some of the bigger news coming out of America in the last year around FTX and there's fights mm-hmm. around Bitcoin and someone called the SEC is also involved with uh, with a couple of the companies. And we've seen these ripples going through the financial industry as well. And some people have have uh, hailed the, 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 the second coming of the 2008 financial crisis with some of the, the, the banks also closing in America. And these things prove that there's a, a, a place for regulation to step in. But why are you trying to regulate the technology? 
Mm-hmm. You're trying. You should actually be, be regulating the application or the principle that people are trying to execute. So blockchain in itself is not bad. Okay. Bitcoin in itself is not bad. But are, are entities like the SEC trying to regulate the blockchain itself? You you do see some people trying to figure out where is the risk actually lying. Mm. What is it that people are actually trying to do? We have concepts such as. Um, private keys that are stored that yeah. gives you access to your wallets and your 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 tokens mm-hmm. effectively. Right. Your so Bitcoin or whatever your, it is. Your Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And it needs to be kept safe. Um, so there is generally okay. places where you do look at technology and say, is it good? It's the same conversation that people are having around AI. Right. What is happening when it starts um, incre- infringing on my privacy mm-hmm. as an individual? So the same kind of concepts have happened in the Bitcoin world. And luckily, our technology has been around for a bit longer than, than, than AI. So we've already moved away from trying to regulate the technology yeah. to trying to regulate the applications or the functions and the services that people are trying to deliver through it, mm-hmm. which is good. But we're also seeing that the way that the, the markets are being connected to each other is changing now. Mm-hmm. which is also good. Let's have that, that space for consideration. Let's have that space for the debate to see what is the best way forward. Mm. And yes, we all have the need to protect the individual, to protect the businesses, to protect the monetary policies of countries. But we're also here to do business. Mm-hmm. We're also here to deliver value to our clients. And we're all trying to find a way where we can do that in a responsible manner. Okay. And an interesting thing that's happening currently in, in this industry is that we, we're seeing an influx of the responsible leaders as well. Okay. So a lot of these, um, what I call the, 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 the Bitcoin millionaires that everyone jokes around with, with driving their Lamborghinis and so forth, aren't in the industry anymore mm-hmm. because we have responsible leaders stepping in, mm-hmm. doing responsible business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm sure those those cowboys are still around on the margins. <laughs> they will always be cowboys, <laughs> <laughs> like FTX, for example. Um, so, 42 Markets Group um, recently raised uh, went through a fundraising round with Convergence Partners. Um, I forget the figure that was was it was the number disclosed? Uh, it was yes. How much yes. was it? It was around eight to ten million dollars. Dollars, okay. That was raised, okay, yes. uh, and that went into forty-two markets group. But I understand a lot of that that fundraising from Convergence Partners is is actually being directed into mesh mm. trade. The majority is yes. Marjorie, okay. Yes. So so maybe take us through that fundraising round and. Uh, mm. And what you're going to be using the money for? Absolutely. I'm actually 21 years old. The, the fundraising journey has aged me slightly, <laughs> but it was, it was a lovely learning experience. And I, I, I know for, for any startup founder, it is a, a moment of, that you actually prove your, your business. Yeah. So the journey took us a while because we, we did try to raise in a time where we saw a downturn in the, the VC market to a large extent. And the, 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 the great thing about being able to raise through our group is that we could raise through a trusted partner such as Convergence, yeah. who is a private equity fund. And yeah. what is really interesting about Convergence is they're sitting with something called 14 DFIs in the world. But basically what that means is they're sitting with 14 very trusted parties within the financial industry that is invested in their fund, okay. who is invested into us. So that gives us something called connected capital. And we love working with, with, with these DFIs because they are impact investors. So mm-hmm. they are really for changing the way the capital markets operate so we can give more access to people to sit around the same table, which aligns with our value proposition from a mesh perspective and our mission. Mm-hmm. So finding a partner like that is, was very unique. And being, being able to actually take our, our business forward, not just from a capital perspective, but also from a connection perspective. So what are we going to do with this, 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 mm. this money is we are going to do a series of launches out into the market. So our first country that we are in is South Africa and we are going out to market with something called an AltFi offering in the start of January. And what we're doing is we are starting to grow and we're proving that the value that Mesh is delivering is good. So what we're launching uh, in January is what I call our debt offering. So we have a couple of companies lined up who will be raising debt in our market and we'll do it to an open okay. market. And, uh, and so individuals such as yourself and myself, we can actually go in and we can invest in these companies. Okay. The reason why we call it Altfire is that it's sitting below exchange. 
So it's not exchange traded assets. It is an asset that is completely traded in the open market. We're very excited about it. It's such a cool concept to be able to invest in some of the entrepreneurs in our country who are building lovely and good businesses. Altfi being short for alternative finance. Yes, yes. Okay. That and is, is it always blockchain great. based? No, it's not no. always blockchain, but it's, but it's already happening in in the current market in a market construct. It just means that it's not trading on exchange. Okay. It's trading off exchange. Right. So if you look at a bank's balance sheet, very seldomly do they have 100% of their assets allocated to the S&P 500. They have a very interesting product mix that they're sitting mm. with. And generally, the, the assets that they are invested in is majority alternative financial mm. assets. So we're giving you access to those assets that only the banks can can trade in. Right. Yeah. Okay, interesting. So so maybe take us through um, the difference between AltFi. You talk about TradFi or TradeFi, the traditional finance, AltFi, alternative finance, and DeFi, hmm. not the fridge brand, the uh, <laughs> <laughs> decentralized, decentralized finance, finance is what it's yes. short for. But what is the difference between AltFi and DeFi? Hmm. DeFi is blockchain-based, I presume. Yes, okay. yes. So these, these terminologies are starting to come together mm-hmm. but from a, a general view um, as you described let's just start with the word tradfi traditional finance so traditional finance is generally your assets that you would find on exchange this would be your meta share your tesla share your apps share your mm-hmm. sunlum share anything that you can find on the jse the new york stock exchange is it always s- a stock it's not always a stock no you can also have something called bonds and debt in okay. there as well but it's traded in the formal or the traditional market you go to construct. a stock broker and you go to a stock okay. broker and you okay. open an account it's mm-hmm. also your etfs and your etns that that we all invest in yes. that are part of TradFi. Okay. Now, we have DeFi on the other side, mm-hmm. and AltFi sits in between these two. So DeFi is called decentralized finance, and it is generally a term that involves any financial activity that's built on a blockchain. So some people will say that Bitcoin is DeFi, but also something like uh, Aave Solution is DeFi, which is a lending pool where you can throw your tokens in and you can make some some margin mm-hmm. on, a, on, on it. So any solution it, that is mostly in a blockchain kind of solution. Now, AltFi is, is always the little bridge in between. Okay. It's a little ducky that no one really wants to own, but it's a very exciting part of the, the industry. And generally, this is a part of the industry that's reserved for smaller companies. So it's not your top 200 performing companies. It's not a company that's listed on a formal exchange, right. but it is a company that is very entrepreneurially driven, but they're looking for capital to come into their business. Mm. So they're either putting out some of their equity or they're putting out some debt. And let's say they, they, they want to build a new factory, but they don't want to get a new investor in or they don't want to go to the bank for a loan. Mm-hmm. They would actually put out an alternative financial asset saying, I'm looking for money for two years. Mm-hmm. I'm going to build this factory. You can see my operations. You can see my business. And I'm going to go out to the market and ask them to invest in. So hedge funds, VCs, and PEs generally invest in this industry because they're growing those businesses up to becoming the big behemoths that we see on the exchanges. Mm -hmm. We had uh, Simon Dingle and Stephen Boyke Sidley, I think his name is. uh, They wrote a book uh, a while ago on on DeFi. Um, Do you rate it? Okay. Um, And they were chatting about the book, actually. Mm. And and, and their view, and I'm I'm paraphrasing here, and the conversation was a a long time ago, so I hope I'm not misquoting them, but their view was uh, that this is is terminal for banks, that that DeFi is such a powerful concept that your traditional financial industry is going to suffer uh, and this is going to emerge as the future of finance. Do you agree with that? It is an interesting view. I've had to think very deeply about this concept given given where Mesh are trade functions because we also do serve the banks. Mm-hmm. And I think it's maybe naive to think that banks and central banks will cease to exist because they perform a certain function within the banking industry. Yeah. So. What I'm not saying is that their full portfolio, full spectrum of services will still exist because the market is changing Mm. and they are going to have to relook how they do some of those functions. But generally speaking, when you look at the financial industry, it's a complex industry. And there's two things that are very important that the banks do. Firstly, they have it with a lot of, a lot of knowledge because you and I don't deal with the financial industry or the capital markets on a daily basis. So who advises us and tells us what is good to to invest in. Mm. 
And sometimes I don't want to manage my own money. I want to outsource that to someone. And the bank is always a responsible party yeah. to do that too. And the second component that they do is they create credit in the market because they take my deposit on the one side and they lend it out on the other side. And so they are actually one of the fundamental components that keeps the economies going. Mm. And for that risk, they're asking a fee. There will always be a space in the economy and especially in our Western economies for someone to take on that role mm. because we're always looking for growth and we're always looking for capital and we're always looking for someone that's, uh, that's willing to take that risk to yeah. say, I will give you capital, I will pay you interest and create that credit cycle that we, we need to grow. And so that, that role as lenders that, that's so critical to that the economy. Very critical. I mean, one thing about banks is they're generally speaking, I'm not saying all of them, but they're generally speaking very trusted institutions. You yes. put your money into a bank, yes. you don't believe that money is going to disappear and you may even earn some interest on it. Mm. In, in the world of blockchains and crypto, et cetera, there's a lot of distrust because of events we've seen in the recent yes. past, like the FTX disaster mm. and others that have gone before it. Yeah. Um, so uh, people generally trust traditional finance. Um, it's got a good name. The reserve, the central banks tend mm. to back up these institutions if they get into trouble, mm. whereas that's not the case in with institutions like FTX, for example. Um, how much of an issue is this trust issue um, as the world of finance is changing and people are exploring it, things like AltFi and DeFi? Um, is your ordinary consumer out there ready to, uh, and are they going to be ready anytime soon to to look at concepts like DeFi or are they just going to say, no, that's FTX, that's Bitcoin, that's, a, that's Dogecoin. We're not going near that. Yeah. What's your take on that? So I generally have to look at the fundamentals of what is trust. Mm -hmm. Trust is a promise made and a promise delivered. And you need to do it over and over and over again mm. to keep on having do. trust. Mm. And that's what they do. I mean, there's certain institutions in our country that has existed for hundreds of years, or let's not say hundred, but at least a hundred years. Yeah. And they have a track record of being able to protect people's money and deliver value for them, i.e. they invested and you get a, getting a good quality return. But there has been recent events where we also have lost trust in the more formal structures as well. And that was the origin of, or the origin story, story behind Bitcoin. Yeah. Why Shatsuhi Nakamura, he actually started writing Bitcoin and saying that but there's an alternative. There's a different way for us to look it at was, this. I mean, it emerged out of the 2007, 2008 yes, financial yes. crisis. Yes, absolutely. And absolutely. Um, that w the white paper that Satoshi Nakamoto wrote was really about dealing with this structural with, failure that yeah, happened. With the fundamentals of, of trust and how we should be, be looking at it. Mm. And I mean, Bitcoin may have been the first iteration thereof, and mm. we've learned so much more from, from, from that moment. The, the conversation actually has not changed. It's, it's always around who can I trust and why can I trust them and, and the metrics that we use to, to, to base that, that trust on. So your question is, will people be trusting DeFi? And I think, yes, we're seeing it not because I'm saying it, but within what the industry is doing, because we've seen consistent uptake in the adoption of cryptocurrencies. And yeah. yes, we've had some scandals now, but it happens and I think the market is readjusting. A lot of people have lost money. A I mean, there was Mt. Gox. There were yes, there were other yes, instances of million, billions of dollars <laughs> billions in of wealth dollars. that were stolen. Yes, yes, but it's the same for the traditional financial industry. Yeah, we also have so many examples of where fraud also occurred sure. in that. So where you you have the bad apples, things will happen. Mm. So I don't think it's just restricted to the technology and the industry that mm. we're in. But one thing that's very interesting for me to see now is some of the bigger institutions are stepping into this market. Um, we're seeing that, that Visa is experimenting. We're seeing that MoneyGram has partnered with Stellar to do remittance payments. We've seen that there is uh, big tier one banks like JP Morgan pushing out some of their solutions to the market. And that is something to take note of. Mm. If these big entities that we have been trusting for so many years are also saying, but there's something here. Maybe we should also be stepping into this market. Isn't that a trust mark for us to also take notice of and see what actually happens to the adoption mm. of it? And in our own experience, people are getting more interested in it. If the banks adopt um, DeFi, if they, if they start to process transactions across mm. blockchains, is that a threat to, the, to, to companies like Mesh or um, do you welcome it? I actually welcome it. 
I, I, I welcome it. The one thing that is very interesting for them to start stepping into it, since obviously they, they're more comfortable with it, mm. um, they're starting to trust the technology so I can do business with them. Yeah. Secondly, our clients are taking notice, so they're also getting more comfortable with it and they're pushing more liquidity into the market. Mm-hmm. And liquidity is the baseline for any market to function. Yeah. Because if there's people spending money, there's people delivering value. And the more and more we can have the cycle going, the better it is for mm. companies such as ours, but also any other companies sitting parallel to us in the industry as well. Hopefully there's going to be a lot more trusted stable coins coming into the mix, a lot of more trusted central bank digital currencies coming as well, mm. which will be good for the entire industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, I wanted to ask about the blockchain that you that you work on. I, I, I see on your website that you've, you've deployed your solutions on uh, a blockchain called Stellar. Mm-hmm. Um, what is Stellar, first of all? Why why did you choose Stellar? So Stellar is a very interesting blockchain. It's a very trusted blockchain and it has history and roots in the Ripple blockchain as well. Okay. I think the Ripple blockchain has been in the news quite quite often. But one of the founders of, of Ripple actually broke away and he started Stellar for some of his own principles. And mm-hmm. some of the principles that, that Stellar was based on is that they're very passionate around creating um, effective blockchain for currency transactions. So what this means is that it's not as a complex blockchain as what the Ethereum blockchain is. Mm-hmm. It's a lot simpler blockchain. But the reason why we chose it is it's because it's trusted. Right. In its simplicity, there's beauty, and it's actually very cheap to use. So our transactional costs are low. So if we want high trading volume to go, we actually need a blockchain that is trusted and we need one that people can transact on quickly and cheaply. Mm-hmm. So that was the reason why we chose it okay. at the start and why we keep on choosing it today. Does it have its own token as well? It has. What's it's it it's the, the Stellar Lumen. It's called XLM. XLM. Yes. Okay. Yes. I think I've seen that one actually. Uh, and um, so are you exclusively... Married to Stellar, or do you work with other blockchains as well? How does I mean? How, just maybe take us through yeah. uh, um, how you employ these blockchains and and what it means for your clients. So one of the big concepts or talking points in in the blockchain world currently is something called interoperability. Okay, and something as simple as when you have a dollar in a dollar account, mm-hmm. when you transfer that dollar to someone else's account, you don't need to change it you don't destroy the dollar and then recreate it on the other side and the same kind of concept is also being talking about in the world of tokens Mm -hmm. because currently one token can't be taken from the ethereum blockchain to the stellar blockchain without me destroying it and creating it again and that brings risk into into the industry and into your transactions but mesh has been built to be blockchain agnostic so yes our first obfuscation is on the stellar blockchain for the reasons that i mentioned mm-hmm. but we have been built to be blockchain agnostic because we understand that the market is complex and you would need to choose a different blockchain for different reasons so we will be integrating into a few more blockchains as we now start to, um, achieving scale and growing a bit more we will have to look at a blockchain that gives us a better smart contract so we can do more and more complex instruments we can talk about something called a oracle which is a, a very complex thing to control life cycles so we would need to bring in these kind of kind of complexities but we would also want to support more and more ecosystems mm-hmm. so we will be most probably integrating into something called solano and maybe cordano as well okay i've heard of those two okay okay um and you also offer something called a tokenization engine. We've spoken about tokenization. But what, is it, what is a tokenization engine and what does it do? So just like we, we talked at the start around what is a token, how is it created, what is a coin, uh, generally when people look at the blockchain, they think that Ethereum and your cryptocurrencies and your stable coins is the only thing that I can really create on the blockchain. Mm-hmm. But I said I can, I can tokenize your house. So effectively what a tokenization engine does is it creates the tokens. So whatever instruction you're giving us on a contract level, we then take that information and wrap it into a token. Mm. And things that we do there is we create equities, we create debts and bonds, we create ETFs, we create ETNs, any structure that you can, can put on a token. We create it through that tokenization engine. Okay. And we currently call that the instrument builder. Very creative. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, and and can can ordinary can your clients use this engine themselves to develop these products? Yes, yes, okay. they can. 
Yes. Okay. So we've taken the complexities out of dealing with, with, with tokens because generally you'd need a software engineering degree mm. to create it. Uh, you need some programming skills. And we know that the most of the people sitting in, in the market does not have software engineering skills and that's a barrier to entry. So we've put in down a very easy to use UI on top of this complex structure. So people can structure and create and name their tokens, whatever they want to, and they can place it on our marketplace and sell it off to our clients. Now your, your average consumer out there, probably not even your average consumer, um, pro- probably doesn't really understand fundamentally what yes. these issues are and fundamentally at a core level understand what DeFi is. How, what, what assurances can you give to them that mm-hmm. when they do this, they tokenize an asset, for example, mm. um, that, um, that, that they can trust it? Mm that the money's not going to disappear? <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is a brilliant question. Um, so first of all, which, whichever country that we operate in, we will be regulated as well. Mm-hmm. So currently in South Africa, we, do, um, we are a accountable institution. So that means that everyone that we deal with is known. Mm-hmm. You go through something called KYC when you open up a bank account. Yep. The same thing happens when you come to Mesh. We don't deal with people on an anonymous basis because our core business is financial instruments. Mm-hmm. That means that we have to have trust in our system. So we are firstly a accountable institution. Secondly, we are called a FSP as well. So we're in the process of applying for our FSP license okay. as well because the Reserve Bank opened up a, a FSP category for us. So for, for the people in the know, it's called a Category 1 mm-hmm. license and we are applying for that in South Africa. Do you do that through the Reserve Bank or the, through the Financial Services Con- Conduct Authority? So we, we do it, doing it, it's, it's called phase licensing. Phase, right. Yes. Yes, okay. so we, we Reserve Bank. No, it's not the Reserve Bank. FSCA. It's, it's, it's the regulator, so it's the FSCA. FSCA, yes. okay. Yes. And do you only operate in South Africa or are you a global no, business? No, so we're a global business. So every country that we go in, there will be some licensing requirements from, okay. from us. But that's only the first part, like having a license and so forth. We've seen other license in um, institutions not doing what their license categories does. But trust is a big thing for, for, for Mesh. And mm-hmm. we have been built to be decentralized to a large extent. So everything that you do on Mesh, you can validate on the blockchain because transparency is a big principle for yeah. us. So when you create that token, you can go to the Stellar blockchain, you can go to the Ethereum blockchain, and you can actually see it on that blockchain. You can see your account. We also don't... And you tell people how to do this. And we tell people how to do it. There's a very nice button that you can click that takes you straight through to the blockchain. Okay. And you can see the information being there and validated by third parties as well. Mm-hmm. We also audit where we do, do need to, to audit. Uh, we, we open up our house to extend there, especially on our stable coin that we use called MZAR, uh, but also on our investor side, so our normal clients. The one thing that we, we do do that's very different from some of our competitors in the market is, and this is a problem statement that came through with things like the FTX and Binance debacles that mm-hmm. we're seeing now is they have something called centralized exchanges. So basically you're entrusting them with your, your assets and you're hoping that no one runs away with, with, with the, yeah. the golden goose, which now has happened. We can't do that because we don't have access to your account. Your account is your account. And if you want to leave Mesh, you can take that account and go. Mm-hmm. I hope you never leave Mesh, but you can. Okay. But in Mesh.Trade, all we do is we vault your private keys, but your account is yours. Mm-hmm. No one else. You say you vault you. your private keys. What does that mean? So what we do is we ca- keep your keys to your safe safe. <laughs> okay. How do you yeah. do that? And how we do that is through a technical operation called vaulting. Okay. So basically in a blockchain instance, every time that you transact, you have to tell the blockchain which account am I transacting from and I'm signing as the owner of this 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 mm-hmm. account that you can do what I said you can do. So okay. you unlocking that safe. Think about it as a physical safe. Yeah. It's generally just a one code that unlocks it or one key that unlocks it. And your combination of your private and your public key, two very interesting concepts, but it would basically be I am in vault number two and my password is my private key. So only you have that code to unlock your And if your, you lose that key? 
if you lose that key, that's the that's the problem statement. <laughs> that's also why we're vaulting it for you right. because you, we've seen right, a lot. So of you keep it if in case of an. We keep it safe. For you. Okay. So in, we don't have access to what they call it. cold storage. So it's not online. <laughs> or uh, cold storage is a lovely, lovely concept. But yeah. uh, you can't actually have cold storage if you're transacting right. on a daily basis. That's, that's if you want to buy a bunch of Bitcoin need to, and leave it. To, to drive to Mount Doom, or Doom on a daily basis, <laughs> go fetch your cold storage key and Mount unlock Doom. your vault <laughs> so you can transact. Okay. Um, so it is not in cold storage. Uh, yeah. It is in something called hot storage. Yes, so we created with these names: hot storage, cold storage. <laughs> private keys but yeah. effectively we can only um, give you access to your vault you can unlock it you can sign your transaction we close it off again and it's, so it's 100% and secure nothing is ever 100% secure yeah. I can, I've, 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 I've read people saying if you don't hold your own keys your yeah. crypto is not safe not your keys, not your crypto is yeah. the, the, the statement that, yes. that people put yes. out in the, in the market but that, that statement actually came from not your account, not your crypto so yet again, these centralized exchanges, they keep everyone's um, crypto mm -hmm. in a big account. Okay. We call it enterprise accounts. So right. everyone's crypto is mixing with everyone else's crypto. Uh, you can't segregate the children from, from, from each other. Mm -hmm. um, and that is the, the, the danger that someone can then get access to those enterprise accounts and then go away with it. Mm -hmm. But vaulting your keys is a lot safer. Yeah. And the safest that you can be is what you mentioned is your, your cold storage, but that's not effective for when you trade a lot. Yeah. But the next level that we will be implementing now is something called a wallet structure where you can bring your own keys. Yet again, the creativity with the name, but effectively you keep your, your key. Yeah. And every time that you come to Mesh or Trade to transact, you type in your key yourself. Okay. But imagine now if you're not used to doing this yes um that you have to explain this to your grandmother and she has to write it down on a piece of paper to do it mm -hmm. the market is just not there mm -hmm. so if the market is not there uh, we are going to put a solution in place that is safe for our clients to use and that is effective to use yes and um, that is easy to interact with on a a day-to-day -day basis mm -hmm. So, Connie, you, you've also developed something called Mesh Oracle, uh, and I'm quoting here, a cross-asset capital markets trade and treasury system. What, what does that mean? So, what that means is we, we discussed at the start, what are some of the assets and asset types that we see in the capital market? So, one of them, which is the most popular one, is equity or stock. Mm -hmm. But in the capital markets, there are a lot more complex structures. There's things called bonds and loans and derivatives and options and all those kind of mm. things that have been developed over years and years of transacting in the market. And what we do is we need to know how to create these assets and why would we reinvent the wheel when they already exist? Right. And for our more complex clients, they want access to cross assets. They want to be able to raise capital in whatever means and ways mm -hmm. that they want to. So we provide them with these asset classes, first of, uh, of all. Mm -hmm. But now we have something called coupon payments coming up, interest payments, dividend payments. Um, I think that you may have heard them when dividend season comes around on the, on the stock exchanges. Yes. It's when you, you start holding Christmas very early, when you get that little payment coming into your bank account because you owned APSA stock or ETF, which is lovely. I love that 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 SMS coming through from my bank saying, "Yay, ka-ching, <laughs> ka yes." So we need to calculate those events mm. happening on all these assets. And what happens in the blockchain world is, how do I tell that token or that owner of that token that you are going to receive an interest payment or a coupon or a dividend? Mm -hmm. So we first of all need to tell our issuers. You put 100 million rand out into the market, you have 10 owners of that 100 million, and you have to pay them an interest payment on whatever day of the year that interest payment occurs. Yeah. So who does that calculation and who does that distribution of that cash to those clients? Well, Mesh does it. Mesh our trade does it. So we, first of all, calculate that big amount, we divide it into the small payments, and we uh, distribute it out into the market so you can get that ka-ching coming into your bank account at the end of the day. Okay. And okay. what controls that is the Mesh Oracle. Okay. Okay, good. Uh, lastly, I just want to talk about um, what people can do with uh, the, the Mesh platform. Let's, I mean, I'm, I, let's take my example. I'm, a, mm. I'm a, an investor who doesn't 
necessarily understand the world of high finance particularly well, yes, yes. but I've got a few shares and mm. um, things I've invested in. Am I am I a potential customer for Mesh.Trade or mm. um, are you looking at more high net worth individuals who trade in derivatives and all this sort of thing? I mean, what's what what is the what is the target client base here? At Mesh, everyone is welcome. Everyone should have access to the capital markets. So even if you just have 10 rand to invest or you're one of those high net worth individuals that already knows the complexities, there's something for everyone Mm. in Mesh. So you can come and you can invest into a Bitcoin, you can buy ETFs, but you can also get access to these new companies coming up and get the opportunity to be the first through the door Mm -hmm. to invest in the up-and-coming entrepreneurial venture. Mm -hmm. But how do we make it easy? How do we distribute that knowledge to people to be able to go from, I have no knowledge of what a stock is, to I have all the knowledge of what what a stock is? And that is where we're trying to translate knowledge to the market. So we're trying to make it easy for you to invest your assets because we know that the capital markets are complex. Mm. We know that you don't watch the prices on a daily basis. So what information do we need to give you so you can make an informed choice of what to do with your, your, your money? And believe me, it's, it's not that complex. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't, don't believe all the lies around the analysis and the charts that you need to, need to create. Consistent investment is always key. Mm-hmm. So we provide you with all the information so you can make an informed decision. We also make it easy for you to transact within your means mm-hmm. as well. So we won't be effective if we don't understand our, cli- our end clients and we can't enable them Mm-hmm. To, to use our application. So no, you don't need five PhDs to right. trade in capital markets. Very often though, retail investors make decisions on investments based on advice given them to them yes. by their by their advisors, which advisor. is often an advisor who works for an old mutual or a Sunlum or yeah. one of those uh, companies. Um, mm-hmm. Do you do you work at all with those big traditional f- um, financial institutions mm-hmm. um, to, uh, to make them understand what it is you offer and that this is something that they can offer to their retail clients yes we we do so one of our current partners in the market is efficient private clients mm-hmm. and they are one of the biggest networks in the south african industry with, with, with regards to unit trusts and etfs and and investments into those asset classes and they work very closely with their advisory network as well mm. so as we start gearing up for the next phase of mesh we'll also start interacting with a lot more financial advisors because we understand that one in two investors in south africa actually uses a financial advisor so we would also like to offer them a greater access to a better, better product mix and also allow them to exist because they contribute very valid and very needed knowledge across the board. And they also have a reason for existence mm-hmm. here. Yeah. So giving them a place where they can also transact. And if I wanted to trade crypto like Bitcoin and Ethereum or Dogecoin, <laughs> can I do it through Mesh? <laughs> Yes, you can also do it. We don't don't offer Dogecoin, unfortunately, but we do offer quite a comprehensive <laughs> um, collection of cryptocurrencies as well. Because most people actually have five five to six percent of their portfolios currently invested in in in, in crypto. Okay, I think there was a very popular financial advisor in South Africa saying that she doesn't know where the technology is going, but just in case, she's putting a little bit into it every month. Okay, interesting. So how many how many crypto types or coins can you buy on Mesh? So Mesh? currently we have 15 cryptos 15. listed. Okay. And it's the biggest one. So it's the known names such as your Bitcoins, your Ethereums. You mentioned Stellar Lumen mm-hmm. earlier. We have Ripple. So okay. the big names you can, you can buy on Mesh. Okay. And um, I presume your business model is built around transaction fees, um, what does is, what is that transaction fee structure look like? Yeah, so we have quite a comprehensive transaction fee, but because of the technology that we are driven by, we are very cost effective. Mm-hmm. So every time that there is a transaction, we do take a fee, mm-hmm. but there's no barriers to entry. So you don't have to pay us to open up an account. You don't need to pay us to to actually get access to the market. So if you see anything that you like and you want to transact in it, when you do buy a Bitcoin, we do take a transaction fee. And as is that I a flat rate across the board or does it vary? It's a flat rate across the board. What is the percentage? Yes. So on a secondary market trade, which is just your general trading on your Bitcoins and your ETFs, mm-hmm. we take a 0.2% fee on that from the person initiating the trade. Mm-hmm. But when you are dealing in something called a primary market, 
you actually don't pay a fee as an investor mm. because the person raising the capital will be paying our fee. So it's free of charge for the investors to invest into these kind of assets, right. which is completely new in the market. Generally, the investors also have to pay. Okay, okay. And while I've got you here, and it's a little bit off topic, but mm-hmm. um, I, I think it's really uh, it, it's, it's been in the news in the last week. Uh, so I, I'd be remiss not to ask you about it because um, it's not a, it's not something I've followed closely. But I see there's a lot of interest in it, and it actually spiked the price of a number of cryptos in the last week. And that's um, news around ETFs and uh, um, ETFs' abilities to invest in cryptocurrencies. And there was some mm. there was some fake news I think that went out on. Twitter or somewhere. Uh, <laughs> it's um, always Twitter. About it. <laughs> it usually is, yes. Uh, saying that there'd been approval of one of the ETF applications mm-hmm. in the US. Uh, turned out not to be true, but Bitcoin spiked 10% mm-hmm. and other cryptos, went, some other cryptos went up even more than 10% and then they all came back down again when mm-hmm. it emerged. It was fake news. What's the big deal about these ETFs and crypto and um, why, is, why, why, is, why did the market get so excited suddenly? Yes, I think the original one that came out was a Bitcoin ETF mm-hmm. put, being put out by one of the more trusted f- uh, asset managers within America. And the reason why that's so important is it's actually showing that some of the big institutions are starting to trust this asset as well. Yeah. And their clients are willing to invest in it. Why would these big institutions start moving if firstly their clients weren't asking for it and secondly it wasn't economical and safe for them to do. So that's very important for us because that means that there is money flowing into this industry and trust flowing into it. So it is a bit of a a milestone mm. for our industry to have a asset such as ETF that is regularly traded coming out to the market that is based on Bitcoins and other cryptocurrencies as well. Okay, so it lends more legitimacy to the yes. to the asset yes. class in a way. Is there, are there any moves afoot in South Africa to uh, around ETFs to uh, uh, and crypto? Is there anything happening with the FSCA or the Reserve Bank or whoever is responsible for the regulation? <laughs> <laughs> so South Africa is, is, is always a, a interesting one because in Mesh Trade, we've already tokenized 15 ETFs and one ETN. Okay. So you can already access some of these these bigger assets on our platform because we've created tokens around them. It's called, uh, we have some S&P 500. Um, so you've already done what the Americans already, want to do. We, we've already done one and we've done it within the regulatory gambits that South Africa already affords us okay. to. But this is something that we call a right to an ET, ETF. So you're buying a, a economical right to it, but you're not buying the underlying ETF Actually, but what is now different from what what is happening in America is the portfolio company in which the ETF is invested is a Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So it's just the other way around. Mm-hmm. So currently, I, I don't know whether they are going to tokenize that top level ETF. I hope they do, okay. uh, because why would you base it on, on on a Bitcoin if you don't tokenize the the, the, the ETF itself? But effectively, um, in South Africa, you are allowed to create a portfolio of these assets, and I believe that the the regulators are quite friendly in this industry, and they mm-hmm. are interacting with people. No one has been given the right to put out a crypto-based ETF just yet. Mm-hmm. But there are a couple of other companies that are putting out bundles and baskets in the market um, to actually give people easy access to these kind of assets mm-hmm. without it being a ETF or ETN that is listed on the stock exchange. It's a brave new world in finance indeed. And uh, I think I've learned a little bit more about it today, though I think I still need to do a lot more reading on the topic. But thank you, Connie Bloom, co-founder and MD of Mesh.Trade, which is your website address as well, right? Yes, that's, that's true. Um, thanks for enlightening, our, enlightening me and our audience about uh, the world of DeFi and AltFi. Thanks for joining us in the Tech Central studio today. Thank you very much.